Chapter five Part two of Principia Ethica This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Fredrik Karlsson. Principia Ethica by G. E. Moore. ninety three. But three. It is plain that even this is a task of immense difficulty. It is difficult to see how we can establish even a probability that by doing one thing we shall obtain a better total result than by doing another. I shall merely endeavour to point out how much is assumed when we assume that there is such a probability, and on what lines it seems possible that this assumption may be justified. That no sufficient reason has ever yet been found for considering one action more right or more wrong than another. A. The first difficulty in the way of establishing a probability that one course of action will give a better total result than another lies in the fact that we have to take account of the effects of both throughout an infinite future. We have no certainty but that, if we do one action now, the universe will, throughout all time, differ in some way from what it would have been if we had done another. And, if there is such a permanent difference, it is certainly relevant to our calculation. But it is quite certain that our causal knowledge is utterly insufficient to tell us what different effects will probably result from two different actions, except within a comparatively short space of time. We can certainly only pretend to calculate the effects of action within what may be called an immediate future. No one, when he proceeds upon what he considers a rational consideration of effects, would guide his choice by any forecast that went beyond a few centuries at most, and, in general, we consider that we have acted rationally if we think we have secured a balance of good within a few years or months or days. Yet, if a choice guided by such considerations is to be rational, we must certainly have some reason to believe that no consequences of our action in a further future will generally be such as to reverse the balance of good that is probable in the future which we can foresee. This large postulate must be made if we are ever to assert that the results of one action will be even probably better than those of another. Our utter ignorance of the far future gives us no justification for saying that it is even probably right to choose the greater good within the region over which a probable forecast may extend. We do, then, assume that it is improbable that effects, after a certain time, will, in general, be such as to reverse the comparative value of the alternative results within that time and that this assumption is justified must be shown before we can claim to have given any reason whatever for acting in one way rather than in another. It may perhaps be justified by some such considerations as the following. As we proceed further and further from the time at which alternative actions are open to us, the events of which either action would be part cause become increasingly dependent on those other circumstances which are the same whichever action we adopt the effects of any individual action seem after a sufficient space of time to be found only in trifling modifications spread over a very wide area whereas its immediate effects consist in some prominent modifications of a comparatively narrow area 
since however most of the things which have any great importance for good or evil are things of this prominent kind there may be a probability that after a certain time all the effects of any particular action become so nearly indifferent that any difference between their value and that of the effects of another action is very unlikely to outweigh an obvious difference in the value of immediate effects it does in fact appear to be the case that in most cases whatever action we now adopt it will be all the same a hundred years hence so far as the existence of that time of anything greatly good or bad is concerned and this might perhaps be shown to be true by an investigation of the manner in which the effects of any particular event become neutralized by lapse of time failing such a proof we can certainly have no rational ground for asserting that one of two alternatives is even probably right another wrong if any of our judgments of right and wrong are to pretend to probability we must have reason to think that the effects of our actions in the far future will not have value sufficient to outweigh any superiority of one set of effects over another in the immediate future ninety four b we must assume then that if the effects of one action are generally better than those of another so far forward in the future as we are able to foresee any probable difference in their effects at all then the total effect upon the universe of the former action is also generally better we certainly cannot hope directly to compare their effects except within a limited future and all the arguments which have ever been used in ethics and upon which we commonly act in common life directed to showing that one course is superior to another are apart from theological dogmas confined to pointing out such probable immediate advantages the question remains then can we lay down any general rules to the effect that one among a few alternative actions will generally produce a greater total of good in the immediate future it is important to insist that this question limited as it is is the utmost to which with any knowledge we have at present or are likely to have for a long time to come practical ethics can hope to give an answer i have already pointed out that we cannot hope to discover which is the best possible alternative in any given circumstances but only which among a few is better than the others and i have also pointed out that there is certainly no more than a probability even if we are entitled to assert so much that what is better in regard to its immediate effects will also be better on the whole it now remains to insist that even with regard to these immediate effects we can only hope to discover which among a few alternatives will generally produce the greatest balance of good in the immediate future we can secure no title to assert that obedience to such commands as thou shalt not lie or even thou shalt do no murder is universally better than the alternatives of lying and murder reasons why no more than a general knowledge is possible have already been given in chapter one but they may be recapitulated here 
in the first place of the effects which principally concern us in ethical discussions as having intrinsic value we know the causes so little that we can scarcely claim with regard to one single one to have obtained even a hypothetical universal law such as has been obtained in the exact sciences we cannot even say if this action is performed under exactly these circumstances and if no others interfere this important effect at least will always be produced but in the second place an ethical law is not merely hypothetical if we are to know that it will always be better to act in a certain way under certain circumstances we must know not merely what effects such actions will produce provided no other circumstances interfere but also that no other circumstances will interfere and this it is obviously impossible to know with more than probability an ethical law has the nature not of a scientific law but of a scientific prediction and the latter is always merely probable although the probability may be very great an engineering is entitled to assert that if a bridge be built in a certain way it will probably bear certain loads for a certain time but it can never be absolutely certain that it has been built in the way required nor that even if it has some accident will not intervene to falsify his prediction with any ethical law the same must be the case it can be no more than a generalization and here owing to the comparative absence of accurate hypothetical knowledge on which the prediction should be based the probability is comparatively small but finally for an ethical generalization we require to know not only what effects will be produced but also what are the comparative values of those effects and on this question too it must be admitted considering what a prevalent opinion hedonism has been that we are very likely to be mistaken it is plain then that we are not soon likely to know more than that one kind of action will generally produce better effects than another and that more than this has certainly never been proved in no two cases will all the effects of any kind of action be precisely the same because in each case some of the circumstances will differ and although the effects that are important for good or evil may be generally the same it is extremely unlikely that they will always be so ninety five c if now we confine ourselves to a search for actions which are generally better as means than any probable alternative it seems possible to establish as much as this in defence of most of the rules most universally recognised by common sense i do not propose to enter upon this defence in detail but merely to point out what seem to be the chief distinct principles by the use of which it can be made in the first place then we can only show that one action is generally better than another as a means provided that certain other circumstances are given we do as a matter of fact only observe its good effects under certain circumstances and it may be easily seen that a sufficient change in these would render doubtful what seem to be the most universally certain of general rules 
Thus, the general disutility of murder can only be proved provided the majority of the human race will certainly persist in existing. In order to prove that murder, if it were so universally adopted as to cause the speedy extermination of the race, would not be good as a means, we should have to disprove the main contention of pessimism, namely that the existence of human life is on the whole an evil. And the view of pessimism, however strongly we may be convinced of its truth or falsehood, is one which never has been either proved or refuted conclusively. That universal murder would not be a good thing at this moment can therefore not be proved. But, as a matter of fact, we can and do assume with certainty that, even if a few people are willing to murder, most people will not be willing. When, therefore, we say that murder is in generally to be avoided, we only mean that it is so, so long that the majority of mankind will certainly not agree to it, but will persist in living, and that, under these circumstances, it is generally wrong for any single person to commit murder seems capable of proof. For, since there is in any case no hope of exterminating the race, the only effect which we have to consider are those which the action will have upon the increase of the goods and the diminution of the evils of human life. Where the best is not attainable, assuming extermination the best, one alternative may still be better than another and apart from the immediate evils which murder generally produces the fact that if it were common practice the feeling of insecurity thus caused would absorb much time which might be spent to better purpose is perhaps conclusive against it so long as men desire to live as strongly as they do and so long as it is certain that they will continue to do so anything which hinders them from devoting their energy to the attainment of positive goods seem plainly bad as a means and the general practice of murder falling so far short of universality as it certainly must in all known conditions of society seems certainly to be a hindrance of this kind a similar defence seems possible for most of the rules, most universally enforced by legal sanctions, such as respect of property, and for some of those most commonly recognised by common sense, such as industry, temperance, and the keeping of promises. In any state of society in which men have that intense desire for property of some sort, which seems to be universal, the common legal rules for the protection of property must serve greatly to facilitate the best possible expenditure of energy. And similarly, industry is a means to the attainment of those necessaries, without which the further attainment of any great positive goods is impossible. Temperance merely enjoins the avoidance of those excesses which, by injuring health, would prevent a man from contributing as much as possible to the acquirement of these necessaries. And the keeping of promises greatly facilitates cooperation in such acquirement. Now all these rules seem to have two characteristics to which it is desirable to call attention. 1. They seem all to be such that, in any known state of society, 
a general observance of them would be good as a means. The conditions upon which their utility depends, namely the tendency to preserve and propagate life and the desire of property, seems to be so universal and so strong that it would be impossible to remove them. And, this being so, we can say that, under any conditions which could actually be given, the general observance of these rules would be good as a means. For while there seems to be no reason to think that their observance ever makes a society worse than one in which they are not observed, it is certainly necessary as a means for any state of things in which the greatest possible goods can be attained. And two these rules since they can be recommended as a means to that which is itself only a necessary condition for the existence of any great good can be defended independently of correct views upon the primary ethical question of what is good in itself on any view commonly taken it seems certain that the preservation of civilized society which these rules are necessary effect is necessary for the existence in any great degree of anything which may be held to be good in itself ninety six but not by any means all the rules commonly recognized combine these two characteristics the arguments offered in defence of common-sense morality very often presupposes the existence of conditions which cannot be fairly assumed to be so universally necessary as the tendency to continue life and to desire property such arguments accordingly only prove the utility of the rule so long as certain conditions which may alter remain the same it cannot be claimed of the rules thus defended that they would be generally good as means in every state of society in order to establish this universal general utility it would be necessary to arrive at a correct view of what is good or evil in itself this for instance seemed to be the case with most of the rules comprehended under the name of chastity these rules are commonly defended by utilitarian writers who assume as their end the conservation of society with arguments which presuppose the necessary existence of such sentiments as conjugal jealousy and paternal affection these sentiments are no doubt sufficiently strong and general to make the defence valid for many conditions of society but it is not difficult to imagine a civilised society existing without them and in such a case if chastity were still to be defended it would be necessary to establish that its violation produced evil effects other than those due to the assumed tendency of such violation to disintegrate society such a defence may no doubt be made but it would require an examination into the primary ethical question of what is good and bad in itself far more thorough than any ethical writer has ever offered to us whether this be so in this particular case or not it is certain that a distinction not commonly recognized should be made between those rules of which the social utility depends upon the existence of circumstances more or less likely to alter and those of which the utility seems certain under all possible conditions ninety seven 
it is obvious that all the rules which were enumerated above as likely to be useful in almost any state of society can also be defended owing to results which they produce under conditions which exist only in particular states of society and it should be noticed that we are entitled to reckon among these conditions the sanctions of legal penalties of social disapproval and of private remorse where these exist these sanctions are indeed commonly treated by ethics only as motives for the doing of actions of which the utility can be proved independently of the existence of these sanctions and it may be admitted that sanctions ought not to be attached to actions which would not be right independently nevertheless it is plain that where they do exist they are not only motives but also justifications for the actions in question one of the chief reasons why an action should not be done in any particular state of society is that it will be punished since the punishment is in general itself a greater evil than would have been caused by the omission of the action punished thus the existence of a punishment may be an adequate reason for regarding an action as generally wrong even though it has no other bad effects but even slightly good ones the fact that an action will be punished is a condition of exactly the same kind as others of more or less permanence which must be taken into account in discussing the general utility or disutility of an action in a particular state of society ninety eight it is plain then that the rules commonly recognized by common sense in the society in which we live and commonly advocated as if they were all equally and universally right and good are of very different orders even those which seem to be most universally good as means can only be shown to be so because of the existence of conditions which though perhaps evils may be taken to be necessary and even these owe their most obvious utilities to the existence of conditions which cannot be taken to be necessary except over longer or shorter periods of history and many of which are evils others seem to be justifiable solely by the existence of such more or less temporary conditions unless we abandon the attempt to show that they are means to that preservation of society which is itself a mere means and are able to establish that they are directly means to things good or evil in themselves but which are not commonly recognized to be such if then we ask what rules are or would be useful to be observed in the society in which we live it seems possible to prove a definite utility in most of those which are in general both recognized and practiced but a great part of ordinary moral exhortation and social discussion consists in the advocating of rules which are not generally practiced and with regard to these it seems very doubtful whether a case for their general utility can ever be conclusively made out such proposed rules commonly suffer from three main defects in the first place one the actions which they advocate are very commonly such as it is impossible for most individuals to perform by any volition it is far too usual to find class together with actions which can be performed if only they be willed others of which the possibility depends on the possession of a peculiar disposition 
which is given to few and cannot even be acquired. It may no doubt be useful to point out that those who have the necessary disposition should obey these rules, and it would, in many cases, be desirable that everybody should have this disposition. But it should be recognized that, when we regard a thing as a moral rule or law, we mean that it is one which almost everybody can observe by an effort of volition in that state of society to which the rule is supposed to apply. 2. Actions are often advocated, of which, though they themselves are possible, yet the proposed good effects are not possible, because the conditions necessary for their existence are not sufficiently general. A rule of which the observance would produce good effects if human nature were in other respects different from what it is, is advocated as if its general observance would produce the same effects now and at once. In fact, however, by the time that the conditions necessary to make its observance useful have arisen, it is quite as likely that other conditions, rendering its observance unnecessary or positively harmful, may also have arisen and yet this state of things may be a better one than that in which the rule in question would have been useful three there also occurs the case in which the usefulness of a rule depends upon conditions likely to change or of which the change would be as easy and more desirable than the observance of the proposed rule it may even happen that the general observance of the proposed rule would itself destroy the conditions upon which its utility depends. One or other of these objections seem generally to apply to proposed changes in social custom, advocated as being better rules to follow than those now actually followed, and, for this reason, it seems doubtful whether ethics can establish the utility of any rules other than those generally practiced. But the inability to do so is fortunately of little practical moment. The question whether the general observance of a rule not generally observed would or would not be desirable cannot much affect the question how any individual ought to act, since, on the one hand, there is a large probability that he will not, by any means, be able to bring about its general observance and, on the other hand, the fact that its general observance would be useful could, in any case, give him no reason to conclude that he himself ought to observe it in the absence of such general observance. With regard, then, to the actions commonly classed in ethics as duties, crimes, or sins, the following points seem deserving of notice. 1. By so classing them, we mean that they are actions which it is possible for an individual to perform or avoid, if he only wills to do so, and that they are actions which everybody ought to perform or avoid when occasion arises. 2. We can certainly not prove of any such action that it ought to be done or avoided under all circumstances. We can only prove that its performance or avoidance will generally produce better results than the alternative. 3. If further we ask of what actions as much as this can be proved, it seems only possible to prove it with regard to those which are actually generally practiced among us. 
and of these some only are such that their general performance would be useful in any state of society that seems possible of others the utility depends upon conditions which exist now but which seem to be more or less alterable end of chapter five part two